I guess they didn't, they didn't go as I originally had planned out four months ago, five months ago, when I first said we're going to go through Baptist history and Baptist distinctives. And I'm not apologizing. It just, just, uh, I guess it just it played out differently than I thought it would. We're getting uh, bogged down a little bit and, uh, in regards to specifics, in regards to we spent five weeks on the ordinances, Lord's Supper and baptism, mostly on baptism. And now this is our second Sunday on the subject of individual soul liberty. Oh, we got here we go again. Tim, help us out here. We, and uh, let's see here. Uh, let, let me get a young man. Uh, Brother Bruce, I got to pick on you every time you're here. Would you help us out? Uh, Tim, get, get the sheets from last week. No, to your right, to your right. Yeah, no, no, there you go. Yeah, if you didn't get last week's sheet, uh, last week's sheet, if you have last week's sheet in your Bible, uh, yeah, and then Bruce, everybody if you, gets one of those, please, okay? Yeah, everybody gets one. Bruce has a sheet for everybody. Tim has a selective sheet, the same sheet that we gave out last week. We want to deal with the subject of individual soul liberty, and of course we could spend, we're going to probably spend the rest of our time on this. Next two weeks is the plan is, and of course the Parmars are taking off tomorrow from Virginia, and they'll be back with us uh, hopefully by late tomorrow night. And uh, Brother and Sister Parmar, I told uh, Pastor Parmar, of course, he's going to be taking over this class uh, and starting on April 8th. And on April 1st, that's Easter. We don't have Sunday school. We have uh, coffee and donuts between the services, of course. We'll have Brother Eric Tharp here. But uh, we'll start uh, the auditorium Bible class with a 13-week series from Brother Parmar. And uh, a handful of folks will leave this class and go with the Arnett's as they are going to be uh, dealing with a new Christians class, new converts class, new members class, call it what you want. And that'll take out six or eight or maybe ten people out of this room here. But... Uh, the rest of us will be in here, and I'm going to take a little break, and you, you get a break from me, which is, uh, was a blessed thing, I'm sure. And all God's people said, yeah, you weren't supposed to say amen there, but uh, I baited you, but uh, no, I'm teasing you. And so, hey, I wanted to just spend a quick, I wanted to give you an American history, Baptist history cursor. I'm not going to spend more than just four or five minutes tops. But um, Bruce is handing out a sheet entitled Baptists Who Paved the Way for Individual Soul Liberty in America. I've handed this out before. We're not going to take the time to actually read line by line. It'd take us too long. But I just want to give you a quick synopsis of uh, several great uh, Americans and great Baptist uh, religious liberty uh, uh, proponents. Uh, We owe much of our liberty that we have in our country uh, to the Baptists. That's uh, just a historical fact, a fact that's uh, lost on many people today. The vast majority of people, including most Baptists, never get this information. But Roger Williams, uh, he was a Baptist for a very short period of time, admittedly. Uh, some say as little as a year and a half that he actually was what we call Baptist. Uh, but uh, he was born in London. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You see the age there from 1603 to 1683. Uh, he comes to the colonies in 1631, April 12th, to Salem. I'm just going through. Notice the line uh, about five lines down. It says, he boldly preached religious liberty, liberty of conscience, and liberty of worship, and declared that no magistrate had the right to coerce the conscience of men, nor inflict civil penalties upon men for their form of religious faith and worship. Now, this is radical, because skipping down a couple lines, the General Court of Boston uh, you see the date there, May 18th, 1631. They, they put in a law in response to Williams's writings. 
And the law said that no man should hereafter be admitted as a free man to have a vote in their government, but a member in some of their churches. And uh, so, in other words, you couldn't, be, you couldn't be considered a free man or a vote if you weren't a member of one of the established churches. And, um, of course, the, Roger Williams is going to be, there's, is contested between Roger Williams and John Clark, who really started the First Baptist Church in America. There's a dispute of about three weeks apart. And um, if you go to Newport, Rhode Island, in fact, uh, I know, uh, oh, pardon me, just, Brother Bruce, have you been to that church by chance? You know what I'm talking about in Newport, Rhode Island? Uh, I can't think of his, that, what's his name? I can't get his name out. Been there a lot of years. They sing that, that uh, uh, well, it doesn't matter. It's a, it's a, uh, uh, but uh, that, that church is, claims to be historic all the way back to uh, the first church there. And I think it was the resurrected uh, I'm getting too detailed, it doesn't matter, but uh, John Clark and Roger Williams were two Baptists. They fled to the Religious Liberty uh, uh, Province, which was, of course, in that time was uh, Rhode Island, or Colony, excuse me, that's the word I wanted. And uh, Rhode Island became the home for the Baptists, the, the Jews, and the witches, and that's true. And uh, so uh, everybody uh, that were running from the law, from the Puritans in Massachusetts especially, they fled down south to the godforsaken land of uh, the sand of Rhode Island there. If you've been to Rhode Island before, I'm sure you say there's no beauty that you should desire it. But anyhow, back to the subject. Later on, a guy by the name of Albert Isle Holmes, actually Holmes, you see John Crandall and John Clark, they journey up to Lynn, Massachusetts in 1651. Now, the Pilgrims landed in 1620, Massachusetts Colony was 1607, and of course, uh, there was Governor Endicott, I'm skipping down through, and who succeeded Winthrop in 1649, they declared that they, these, they were three Baptists, so Obadiah Holmes was a, was a deacon in, in church, Clark's church, and they were preaching, they, they came and they arrested them, and they were escaped, and I've taken now, I've been there several times, and I wanted to take you, uh, when we went on our trip to uh, Newburyport, uh, Massachusetts, to see the church where George Whitfield preached at. Uh, we wanted to go to Boston, but our trip got messed up because of the rain and so forth. We didn't get to do that, but we, I wanted to go to downtown Boston. Most of you have been to Quincy Market, and you've been to Fenuel Hall, and then you've been to the, the place the, the, on the sidewalk there where the, the Boston Massacre took place. If you're still with me, if you're the Bostonites that have been traveled there, if you go just about probably 100 yards, maybe 150 yards tops uh, past, uh, what's that road? Tremont Street, Tremont Street Baptist Temple. And uh, anyhow, you go past about 100 yards or so away from where uh, uh, the Boston Massacre took place. On one side of the street is a plaque where D.L. Moody was converted to Christ. On the other side of the street is the plaque where Obadiah Holmes was whipped with a cat of nine tails, so he almost, with a bare back, and uh, he was whipped for the crime of preaching the gospel without a license. That's in our country. And the Baptists were greatly persecuted. Moving on, I didn't want to take five minutes, I'm already three minutes over time. Isaac Bacchus, he's known as the Apostle of Liberty. He was a Connecticut Congregationalist. He wrote, he was one of the new lights in the... Uh, uh, the old lights versus the new lights. And many, many of the people in the western Connecticut here, if we go down to Bethlehem, Connecticut, uh, 
Joseph Bellamy was a new lighter. And uh, of course, Jonathan Edwards was a new lighter. And uh, Samuel J. Mills was a new lighter. And uh, they were congregationalists that believed that you needed to have a born-again experience. Most of these new lighters became Baptist. And J- Isaac Backus, as in John, uh, John Leland as well, if you turn to page, I mentioned much about John Leland or spent a minute talking about the Cheshire cheese wheel last, last uh, Sunday morning. And he's uh, the proponent of religious liberty. The movie, Magnificent Heritage, someday I'll get that movie and we'll have a movie night at church and show you the or maybe do it in two parts and show it during Sunday school and show the debate between John Leland and a guy named James Madison who gave us our 10, 10 uh, Bill of Rights. Uh, they're under attack today. And I don't want to get, uh, get off sidebar here, but I mean, our own governor, I mean, folks, our li- religious liberties are under attack when the, the, you know, our Second Amendment to our Constitution, the right to bear arms, and we have our own government saying that a certain organization, you all know who I'm talking about, is a terrorist organization. And it's, a, and, and it's one of our rights, God-given rights, that Americans recognize and, uh, and Baptists recognize. And Baptists were patriots during the American War for Independence. Enough of the history lesson, too much of the history lesson for time's sake. And so let's go back to, uh, I just want to spend the balance of our time now on the finishing up the Baptist distinctives of individual soul liberty. I want to start off by, uh, uh, and I, I, I'm smiling right now because, uh, and I could pick out the person that called me. I'm glad that you did, you did call me, by the way, and, uh, and I appreciated good critiquing. And I think I said some things yesterday or last Sunday that was, uh, could be misunderstood for sure. And I'll just give you the hot button, for example. I mentioned about abortion. And, uh, you know, this is one of these, and I wrote down a list of uh, individual soul liberty, Christian liberty issues, and abortions may be at the top of the list or one of the top ones. Let me make it clear, clarify some statements I probably made last week that were maybe misunderstood. I always believe that abortion is murder or is wrong, yes. I absolutely believe in that. Uh, do I think in this civil society, do I think that in Connecticut, or for that matter in the United States of America, do I think as an American citizen that we're going to overturn Roe v. Wade? I doubt it. And that's, that's putting it mildly. Maybe, I'm not ruling it out of the realm of possibilities. It's, I like to think it's states' rights, and we won't get into our constitution uh, of our United States and so forth, but, but uh, I'm simply saying I'm not, what I, what I mean, I, am, I have my hands up. I'm not going to stop somebody from getting an abortion. I can't do that. Uh, now, I can do that with my persuasion, I can try to persuade them with my words, but I'm not going to coerce them. I'm not going to jail them. I'm not going to, I'm not, uh, you know, there's a group of people out there that think that us Christians want to do that, by the way, and we'll never do it. And and in our civil society, uh, and I mentioned, uh, you know, Jesus, you know, they tried to trick Jesus. Remember with the, 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 uh, do we render Caesar the things that are Caesar's in taxation? Some Jews said, no way you're funding and aiding and abetting the enemy. Don't do it. And Jesus very wisely said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, the things that are God, the things that are God. And uh, we talk about this uh, role of separation of church and state, by the way, and it's next, next week and the week after we'll finish up our Baptist distinctives. But abortion, uh, I just want to make it clear that I, I, I always believe abortion is wrong. I, don't, I believe personally that no Christian should ever t- partake of alcoholic liquor. I believe that, but I... 
I mentioned, I uh, made the caveat, don't take my NyQuil away from me. And I'm, I say that kind of funny, tongue-in-cheek, tongue but it's kind of true. I, I like my NyQuil from time to time, you know what I'm saying? And it does have alcohol in it. But let me just real quickly here, and then we'll finish up Roman numeral three on our worksheet. Allison, I'm blind as a bat. I just saw you. I, had, I did a double, it's a double take. I said, well, why did you say something? I'm blind as a bat. I'm looking at Allison's here. How long are you here for? A week? Oh, amen. Good to have you, Allison. Glad, glad that you're here. I'm sorry. I, I, it's, it's all about Bruce and Amanda. Nothing, it's, uh, enough of that here. Okay, good to have you, Allison. Okay, back to this subject. Um, I, on purpose, and by the way, the phone call, which I very much was appreciative of, I got this week because... Uh, Someone asked the questions that several of you wanted to ask, and uh, I'm glad they did. But uh, uh, it actually got the response I was hoping that it would get. I wanted to stir you up a little bit. I wanted to, when we're dealing with the subject of individual soul liberty and Christian liberty, there are differences of opinion even in this room, and we're very tight in unity in regards to it. So I wrote down several things that where there's a lot of, where there, there must be Christian liberty. There must be a modicum of, of uh, civility and certainly uh, real tolerance for different belief opinions. I've said it many, hundreds of times it seems like to me I've said it, but I can't expect you to agree with me on every little issue there is because I change myself on things. We all do. But I, I'll give you some of the, the, most, the biggest hot-button issues in our Baptist uh, circles that we run in and that I'm a part of, and, and proudly so. But uh, the divorce-remarriage issue is a big hot-button issue, even among Baptists, independent Baptists. You know, can you be divorced? And some people say you should never be divorced. Well, that, pardon me, I'm not trying to hurt anybody in this room, but that, 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 that just hurts a lot of people right now in that room just to say that. Uh, remarriage. Then uh, I can move right along here. It's already a sensitive subject, and we just started it, but it shouldn't be. Uh, the qualifications for a pastor and uh, ruling his own house well, and what, what does that entail? And, and uh, can, he, can he have a... Uh, I, I, I found it ironic. i just run this fast rabbit trail. There's a certain pastor, don't ask me after the service, because many of you would know who I'm talking about, somewhere in our area, and they have preached Christian liberty for as long as I've known that church to be in existence. And so when they found out the pastor liked to smoke an occasional cigar and have an occasional drink, they booted him out of their church. Now, I thought that was kind of hypocritical, given the fact that the whole church believes in Christian liberty, given the fact that they have no problem with the membership having liberty in that area. But they, the pastor was, the very thing that he preached on, he got condemned about, which uh, if it wasn't so sad, it would have been funny. And, uh, but uh, these areas of what qualifies a pastor or what doesn't. Um, Charles Spurgeon couldn't be our pastor because he was a cigar smoker, as most of you know, or a pipe smoker. Uh, I've said many times, David could never make, it, make the cut to be our pastor or be even a member of the church. And we'll go right through the list. I mean, Jacob, I'm not Abraham, just, just go through the list. All of them would be disqualified with, our, with, our, with the way we think. Uh, music, well, that's a hot button issue. And uh, I've talked to pastors all the time about this subject, and we're all questioning and wondering, well, what's, 
what's okay, what's not okay. We have people leave our churches over these things, over divorce, over remarriage, over pastor's quality, over something the pastor says. Uh, the death penalty was right up last week, another hot button issue. I'm pretty, I mean, I believe the Bible teaches in the New Testament death penalty. And I believe the death penalty for a number of different things that I won't go into. And uh, I would be very, and I'm not trying to be funny here or trying to be, you know, I'd be very liberal with the death penalty. I would, I would hand it out accordingly. And, uh, and uh, some of you that, that, you're allowed to differ. You may be right. We've got to have individual soul liberty. Our response to civil government or our participation in politics should we or shouldn't we? How much should we say from the pulpit? Or should we be careful what we say from the pulpit? Do we have a little bit of part in it, a lot of part in it? I have a book in my office desk right now as we speak. It's been sitting there for a year. Um, the election sermons of the college president of Bowdoin College where uh, in, uh, I can't think of the name of the town, in Maine. Lewis, I think it's Lewiston. I think it's Bowdoin College where Joshua Chamberlain uh, was president. Uh, some of you know that name from Civil War lore. And, uh, but uh, they would preach election messages. Here's who you should vote for and here's why. From the pulpit in America. And uh, it was very common. Right around election time, all pastors did it, or most pastors did it. They preached an election sermon. I'm voting for John Doe over John Smith because of this, this, and this. And this is why you should vote for him too. And uh, today, oh, you can't do that. And, and believe me, I... Well, hey, Sunday school, I can say it. This is real life stuff. We've had people leave Harvest Baptist Church over my politics or what they see, see as my politics. I see it's, it's tied into the biblical principle and uh, Bible verses to, to back up hopefully what I say. Do I say things in the flesh from time to time? Yes, I do. I'm guilty of that, of course. Many other areas, just let me finish up here just real quickly. I wrote down some more. Military. Uh, are there just wars, fighting? Uh, the degree of, uh, what was, there's a movie they made about a year ago or so about the pacifist uh, Christian. I can't think of the name of it, but it was a, uh, I've seen it now, to be honest with you. Uh, oh, Hacksaw Ridge, I think it was. The guy was a Seventh-day Adventist, was he? I think he was. And he went into battle in Okinawa with no gun and uh, saved 76 lives, got the Congressional Medal of Honor. Of course, and, uh, but some Christians don't believe in fighting. The Mennonites and uh, some Baptists that believe that. And uh, then, then in regards to our country, patriotism is another thing here. And, and we're, we've really gone to the point, and I, I, I kind of understand. But, I mean, there's some, first of all, there's Baptist churches that do not have that flag in their church here in America. Now, I, that kind of rubs me in the wrong way, I'm being honest with you. But I also understand some of their mindset. There's, so there's many things, and maybe I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting a number of other things that could be underneath individual soul liberty. But let's go on to Roman numeral number three for sake of time if there's not any comment, criticisms, or complaints. And uh, we'll, uh, we looked at uh, the universal limits to individual soul liberty, and uh, I don't think for sake of time we'll review those. I think we'll just go right to the Christian and individual soul liberty. ISL, number one, does not give license to a Christian to cast a, the key, the, the fill in the blank word is the word stumbling block in front of another Christian. And I already quoted the verse, but somebody read to us 1 Corinthians 8 13. Would somebody get that for us, please? 
Come on, somebody read that, please, for us. 813. All right, we have to be careful that we don't place a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in front of our brother. I told you to turn to Romans chapter 14. Uh, look what verse number 21 says, Romans 14, 21, if you're there. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine uh, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Now, by the way, and I haven't studied this in detail, so I, uh, I'm admitting that, so I haven't really, it's been a long time at least, and I don't remember. It says, it is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine. Is the implication there that, well, it's all right to drink wine unless it makes your brother to offend? Uh, you know, we know what Paul said in Timothy, drink a little wine for their stomach's sake. Of course, they didn't have refrigeration in Bible days. We understand that. And so uh, the fruit of the vine would, would uh, naturally ferment to, one, to a low degree, percentage degree, uh, without, uh, without uh, refrigeration. It would obviously ferment a little bit faster. And so uh, we've all heard of hard cider and so forth, and I think you understand that, whether it be apples or grapes or what have you. That, uh, But... If we're going to be an offense to somebody, we don't do it. And uh, it's, it's, it's very important that we understand that, that we don't be offensive in any, any way uh, with other Christians, not, not on purpose at least. And so uh, letter A and B underneath uh, number one there, I put there's limited scenarios of dress, conduct, and activity. Uh, I still, I, I've just about done away with it admittedly, uh, I think I may talk about these things very openly nowadays, of course. But when uh, Sonny, when we were at Bible College, we had tracks in our Bible College uh, store, bookstore, right at the cash register. I still remember them on Deuteronomy twenty-two five. I just read it the other day in my my Bible reading. The man shall not wear that which pertains to a woman, and a woman shall not wear that which pertains that pertains to a man, for all that do so are an abomination to the Lord. Now, in 1976, let me tell you how we interpreted that. We interpreted that, that women should not wear pants, period. And I believed that for many years, and I still, I, I, let me just say to all you ladies that wear dresses, I'm glad you, I'm, I'm very, very humbled that you wear dresses. And, uh, but it became a standard in a lot of our churches that if a lady was godly, and I, I've heard some very derogatory preaching in my years, not too many years ago. And uh, it, it's very, very offensive. But I, I've heard preachers scream and yell at, at you know, you pants-wearing, you britches-wearing lady, and, and uh, you know, you, and, uh, some very choice words that were used in the pulpit and so forth. And I've, I've heard that with my own ears. God is my witness. And we, we determined that that's what that meant. And so I still, I still I'm, I'm an old-fashioned. I still like when our ladies come to the platform, I'd like, like to be in a dress. I'd like our Sunday school teachers still to wear dresses. Throughout the week, I've, a lot of you ladies come into church, you come in with slacks. Admittedly, and I'm just confessing how I've changed over the years. I didn't even used to like that. And it was like, in my earlier years, it was like, you know, if you're going to come to church, you come with a dress. And I realized that it was... Marty shot thinking and not Bible thinking. I came to that conclusion. 
But dress is a very, can be a stumbling block. And by the way, lack of dress can be a stumbling block. Uh, and uh, conduct and activity. But uh, folks, we need to re-examine all these things here. It's not that we're questioning God by any means. We're questioning in our culture that we live in. How many people think in the culture that we live in that a woman wearing pants is wrong? Well, I don't know of anybody that believes that other than a handful of maybe strict, devout Jewish people, some Muslims. And I don't want to be identified with Muslims. I don't want to be identified with uh, Orthodox Hasidic Jews. And then a handful of Christians. I want to be, now I'm not saying, uh, you know, again, even talking to this, uh, I don't want to be confusing or offend anybody or hurt anybody at all. I'm glad. I, w- I wish we would get back to some of our standards that we have. Uh, along with that, just let me just say a couple more things while I'm venting, <laughs> use the word. Uh, I, I was read, in fact, I was in the, uh, Deuteronomy and uh, Leviticus again. Uh, tattooing and cutting and, uh, you know, and then jewelry and so forth. I mean, the Bible speaks in the Old Testament about a lot of these things. And uh, we start making standards in our churches, you know, what's allowed and what's not allowed. Ladies, I'm just going to say, it's a friendly crowd, so I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say, you know, this is, this is Marty's shop, but I, I, think I, I think I have principle from the Bible. Now, you can disagree with me, but is it all right for somebody to have a tattoo? I, I don't think you should defile your body. To me, it's defiling your body. And, but I will tell you as a male, and a very friendly crowd, ladies, I hope I'm not hurting anybody. I don't know why any lady would ever want to get a tattoo. I just can't, I just can't fathom it. I just I don't understand it. It just blows my mind. And, and I think you're more beautiful while I'm stepping, you know, digging my hole. I think you're more beautiful without tattoos. Amen, amen. I like it anyhow. I've just tried that, whatever. And, and now, now the makeup, I think we could go on and on with these things. But, but here, let's finish up here because we've got to be careful that we we don't make these things law. Uh, oh, I, I just one more thing and belabor the point. The piercings. Remember, you know, first it was, you know, we all, we all accepted earrings a long time ago. Pierced ears. Now for many years we've got pierced a lot of other things. A lot of other things. I mean, things that I just... I, I don't understand. And I, I do know this, that these piercings and these cuttings and these tattoos, and so, they were all parts of heathen nations in the uh, Old Testament, Israelite versus the Amorites, the Edomites, and all those other rites, as we say. And the Bible says, learn not the way of the heathen. I, don't, I can't make a Bible, and I don't try to look down at, uh, I don't believe I do look down, I... Uh, at Christians, and we have more and more. I mean, we have some Christians that are just, we have Christian tattoo shops now. What do you do with that? I mean, it just goes on and on. I'm, I'm, I'm digging that hole. It's, it's at least six foot deep already by now. But uh, let's get on to letter B here. Uh, regards to stumbling block. Why do we not cast stumbling blocks? We get to be careful how we dress, how we conduct ourselves, our activities that we have. We don't ever want to be offensive. Letter B, 
Uh, we don't want to hurt a weaker brother in any I just put down hurting a weaker brother. And there's many ways that we can hurt a weaker brother. And some, sometimes you can't avoid it. And uh, they're just weaker. And I can give you four examples. But number two here, let's move on here. Individual soul liberty is not a license to sin or to disobey the scriptures. I have a number three for the record that's not on your worksheet, but let me just give it to you. Let me just... The individual soul liberty of a Christian giving, uh, gives cause to us not to set ourselves up as the judge, but leave that to God. Uh, Romans 14, 12, look, who, who has that for us nice and loud? Of course, there's a verse that every Christian should memorize. Well, let me just read it. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You'll stand before God and you won't be able to say, the preacher made me do it. Or the preacher, uh, I just followed the preacher. No, you'll give account to the Lord yourself. I won't be able to say, well, the members made me do it. Or I didn't do it because, no, I'll give account of myself on how I shepherded the sheep. There's a, it's true. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, I'd like you to turn there and I'd like you to see these verses. This is very, uh, I'm thinking of the word, how do you say that word, pungent? Is that the right word? Is that the word I'm looking for? Very not. Uh, well, sensitive to me. Let's put it this way. Because of certain things that have taken place. In fact, just yesterday, as a matter of fact, it's pertaining. Uh, there's been times, uh, let me give you the First Corinthians 4. Verse 3, there's some things that I've done over the years as pastoring that I can never, to this day, there's a handful of things that I've, decisions I've made that I've never been able to delineate and say publicly why I made this judgment. The uh, Bible says the secret things belong to the Lord. And some of those secret things belong to you and belong to me, but not to other people. And you, but we, Remember this, these wonderful verses here in 1 Corinthians 4, verse number uh, 3, to start there. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, Paul said. You're they were judging Paul. Or of a man's judgment, yea, I judge not mine own self. He says, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Verse 5 is the key verse. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. Why? Well, until the Lord come, who, will bring, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have praise of God. Now, you folks do this, and I'm not looking for, but you do this very regularly. There's sometimes where I've had to make very difficult decisions that I know were misunderstood and are misunderstood by, by maybe the majority of the congregation, but you love me anyhow, thank you very much. And even though I, you, you say, I don't understand why pastor did that, there might be something that you don't know. Just remember that. There could be something that you don't know. And I might have some more information now, by the way, in that same way, have I made some wrong calls? You better believe I have. And I got, I've been bamboozled before. 
And I'm, I can, I, I'm not going to tell you, I've got one specific in my mind. I know what it's like to get the you know, wool pulled over your eyes or hoodwinked or whatever you want to say. I've been duped. I've been tricked. And years later or months later, or I find out, oh, I didn't know everything. And so I came down on a certain side for one reason or another, not knowing all the facts and not being the Lord. But here's the beautiful thing. You know, my goal is never to condemn. That's the Lord. That Lord, he's the one that, that uh, will, in the end, God will bring all these things to light. There's a thing or two that uh, came to my mind yesterday. Somebody was talking to me on the phone yesterday, and it's like, oh, I'm sworn to secrecy. No, and I just have to play along. And, uh, boy, you know how hard that is sometimes? It's like when you want to tell them, let, let me tell you the real score. They don't need to know the real score. It's okay. Just take it on the chin and just live with it. Just deal with it. And uh, I think uh, you all probably have something in your mind, several somethings in your mind, where you know you're relating to what I'm saying, I'm, I'm assuming. So we got to give grace. We got to give leeway. And we gotta, we're not, can't, can't just get mad and leave at the drop of the hat, and then we find out later that, oh, well, maybe I didn't know. So uh, enough of that here. Uh, any comments, criticisms, complaints, or adjustments to uh, the individual soul liberty? Is a pastor allowed to change? I hope so. Boy, I hope so. Uh, I, I really, uh, I told my pastor friend uh, the other day, Brother Townsley, we were down there at chapel, chapel time on, a couple of weeks ago on Friday, we were talking, and it says, uh, you know, the longer I live, the less I know. And uh, I have more questions than ever before. All right, well, let's take time out then. Let's, let's take our time to pray. We have a whole slew.